are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I used to, many years ago, I used to make New Year's resolutions, many of them. Several years ago, I quit making them except for one. I have written down every New Year's Day for many years, numbers of years now. I'm going to guess maybe eight or ten. Only one resolution, and this is it. I resolve that in the new year, I will acknowledge my Savior all the year through. That's been my resolution for many years, numbers of years. This year, I've added three to that. I'm making four New Year's resolutions this year. I'm making that one that this year I will acknowledge my Savior. And then there are three others that I want to call your attention this morning that I've made. I want to share them with you today. Father, bless our discussion as I bring the first sermon behind this pulpit of a new year. May it be all we need to have. So we can be all we need to be. So we can do all we need to do. So we can say all we need to say. So we can go every place we need to go. To serve thee this year. In Jesus' name. Amen. New Year's Day is a very special day for me. New Year's Sunday is a very special Sunday for me. As Sundays go, it was... 44 years ago, this morning, when I announced to my father, who was drunk, that I was going to be a preacher. 44 years ago, when he pushed me against the side of a brick wall on the corner of Ackard Street in Commerce, Dallas, Texas, and cursed me. Finally, pushed me to the ground and kicked me while I was on the ground and cursed me because I was going to be a preacher. That's 44 years ago. 44 years ago on New Year's Day, as Sundays go, 44 years ago today. I'm sorry, 40 years ago today. I'm sorry, I'll say it again. 38 years ago today. I'm sure, not sure this even happened at all. But, Thirty-eight years ago today, I stood behind the pulpit and sitting over here, about on the third row, right over here, was my daddy. I preached Sunday morning and Sunday night, the only two times in my life I ever preached with my daddy in the audience. I gave it all I had. He didn't get saved. He promised he would, but he didn't. Thirty-eight years ago. Today, this morning, 38 years ago this afternoon, I took a walk with him. He promised me to get saved in the spring. But before he ever came back, he died with a heart attack suddenly on a Saturday morning in May. 33 years ago today, as Sunday school, I had spent the night all night in prayer. The church that I was pastoring was too big for me. 
I had never intended to be a pastor of a big church. I took theology, majored in theology, and also secondary education with a history major when I was in college. Because I never thought that I'd ever pastor a church big enough to pay me a full-time salary. I thought I would teach at a school on the weekdays. Had no Christian schools in those days, so I even got me a state, uh, I studied and, and applied for a state certificate, what do they called it, certification. It's not what they called it in those days, but I've forgotten. But, so when I finally got a church that was growing, uh, well, I mean, I mean my church, all my churches grew, but I had pastored a church that on the first day I was there, we had 44 in Sunday school. On our first anniversary, we had 617. Second anniversary, 2200, no, 1180. Third anniversary, 2212. Fourth anniversary, 3163. No buses. Those days, nobody knew to run buses. All drive in. And it was too big for me. So all night long, 33 years ago last night, I prayed and told God that I was going to resign the church. God did something to me and for me that night. I did not resign the church. Please listen to me now. Please listen to me. I beg you. If you knew how important preaching is to me, you'd, out of respect to me, you'd listen to what I say all this year. I, it's very important to me. My resolutions are not flippantly written down. I don't resolve something, say I'm going to try to do something. To me, they're very serious. In addition, and by the way, as the years pass, I never know what my last year is. You never know what yours will be either. But my mother lived to be 96, and if I have most of her genes in me, I'll, I've got many years. My father lived to be 62. I'll be 62 this September. If I were to die on the same day my father died, I'm talking about the same age my father died. Uh, this would be my last New Year's message. I'm saying we don't know. Because we do not know. For the passing of the years, it becomes more serious with me. I resolved in 1988 to wait on the Lord. That's my second resolution after the first one to acknowledge him this year. I resolved this year to wait on the Lord. As the psalmist said in 24:14, wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What I mean by waiting on the Lord is what I mean. I mean I resolve to hang around him and plead with him and walk with him and spend time with him. Oh, that's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants his people to wait on him. If you'd come down Highway 41 many years ago when I was a kid preacher, I'm sorry, Highway 43, many years ago when I was a kid preacher, a little winding, two-lane, blacktop highway between Marshall, Texas and East Texas, winding down through the pine thickets and the sand hills of East Texas, you'd come down there about 1949, 50, you would have heard most every night the cry of a young preacher 
begging for God to give me his power and begging for God to use me. If I wanted God to use me then, I want God to use me a thousandfold more than that now. I mean this when I say it. I've never loved him like I love him today. I've never loved this book like I love it today. I've never wanted to serve him and do it right like today. And I promise him, I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to get to know him better. I have not walked in this pulpit, not one single Sunday in 1957. I never walked in this pulpit without spending at least 20 hours with my God, alone with him during the week. That's the God's truth if I ever told it. I've not walked in this pulpit one Sunday morning in 1987 without having waited on him for at least 20 hours through the week. I want in my life, I want it to be real. I long for you to have the reality of Christ. I long for Jesus to be real to you. I long for it to be a genuine, real, sincere, earnest walk with our God. Remember years ago, I was asked to go to Canada to preach for a national convention of, of preachers in Mary Lake, up north of Toronto, Canada, several Oh, maybe 100 miles or 150 miles, I'm not sure. Right. All the evangelical fundamental preachers of Canada, I think it's called the Evangelical Convention, but those, in those days they were all fundamental preachers. Don't know how they are now. <clears throat> but I remember, this has been years ago, I walked in that place and never felt so alone in my life. I preached that night on Ichabod, the glory has departed. Nobody responded. I mean, of course, uh, parts of Canada, it's that way, but nobody responded. These are preachers, and I, I never felt so lonely in my life. I didn't know whether anybody was listening. I, I had no idea, but they just sat there and looked at me. When I finished preaching, only one person, of all those preachers, only one person came by to shake my hand. There was a preacher named Martin Wedge, who pastored in Canada, was a Canadian, but had pastored in East Texas for several years when I was down there pastoring, and he came to shake my hand. Other than that, not one single person shook my hand. I was staying in a little cabin there on the lake, or maybe a little uh, duplex of some kind on the lake there, Mary Lake. All of us were staying out there in the camp, sort of like Cedar Lake is here. I decided to wake up about 3 o'clock in the morning, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and just spend some time in prayer. I needed God's presence. I... I needed to talk to God. I went down to the lake. I started walking around the lake to pray. I met a fellow. He didn't see me. One of those preachers. A little after three o'clock in the morning. And he was saying, Oh God, the preacher's right. The glory has departed. Ichabod's written over my ministry. Something's happened to me. Oh, God, I want it back. I want it back. I kept on walking. I came to a picnic table. I saw a preacher sitting on the, the table part with his feet down on the seat. And I heard him groaning. Oh, oh, God, I need what I used to have. That preacher's right. The glory has departed. 
preaching. I walked around that lake. I do not know how many preachers I saw crying to God and waiting upon the Lord. There needs to be a reality to settle in our churches again. Something real. I mean, not just a homage we pay to God every Sunday morning and Sunday night, but a reality of God and His presence and His power and His love. All that morning, three o'clock in the morning till sunup, I just heard preachers crying and groaning. We came together to meet for the morning service. I preached that morning again. I was supposed to preach three times. Preached that morning again. When I sat down, one preacher jumped up. Nobody there were preachers. Must have been several hundred of them. I'm not sure. One preacher jumped up and he said, I've got to say something. He said, God did something for me last night that was real. He said, Nicobot's been written over my ministry and I know it. I've lost my power. I've lost my walk with God. I've lost my holy zeal. He said, it's not going to be that way. You know, another preacher stood up, started confessing his sins and confessing his powerlessness. And then that whole group of preachers fell on our faces and prayed. Did you know that that was about 9.30 in the morning? Did you know that from 9.30 till noon, preachers just one after the other confessed their sins and prayed? And do you know that the dinner bell rang and somebody said, dinner time, lunch time? <clears throat> and every preacher there said, we don't want to eat. We don't want to eat. We stayed there in that room and prayed around a circle again and, and preachers crying and uh, preachers hit, hitting on the wall, begging God for his mercy and forgiveness. And then had a ball game scheduled for the afternoon. They called off the ball game, prayed all afternoon, confessed their sins all afternoon. Had a volleyball tournament scheduled. They called off the volleyball tournament, kept on praying, kept on confessing. And then they had the evening meal. They, they rang the dinner bell and the preachers didn't go eat the evening meal. I saw a group of several hundred preachers on their faces praying, confessing sin from 9.30, I guess, in the morning until that evening. I'm saying, I promised God this year I'm going to wait on the Lord. I called you this year to wait on God. What does that mean? That means tarry. That means get to know Him. That means spend some time with Him. Wait on the Lord. There's a second thing I promised God resolution-wise this year. I promise God I'm going to wait for the Lord. I'm going to wait on the Lord, but I'm going to wait for the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 5, uh, says, uh, Wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. Isaiah 25, verse 9, We have waited for him, and he will save us. We have waited for him. We will rejoice. And my text Wait for it. It will surely come. Now, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to stay with Him, walk with Him, talk with Him, spend time with Him, tarry with Him. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? It means don't run ahead of Him. That's what it means. Don't get impatient. Don't run ahead of Him. Now, I'm, I'm by nature, I'm a, I'm a fast runner. I don't mean I'm a hundred yard dash man. I, I hold the world record for the three yard dash, but, uh, I uh, have stopped and rest on the way a bit, but I, I, uh, I'm, I'm talking about my nature is to run fast. And I've got to oftentimes just stop and say, now I'm going to wait on the Lord. The title of my sermon this morning is, Hurry Up, God, and Catch Up. Hurry up, God, and catch up. Come on, God, catch up with me. Oh, you wait on Him. He knows the way. You don't know the way. 
And I promise him to wait on him. Don't run ahead. Don't get impatient. He doesn't do what you want to do when you want it done. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. He doesn't give it to you when you ask for it. Don't get impatient. Don't run ahead. Wait for the Lord. I promise the Lord this year that I will wait for him. I'll wait for orders. I'll wait for vindication. It's his job and not mine. I'll wait for the victory. I'll wait till he gives it. I'll keep on going. I'll keep on serving. I'll keep on preaching. I'll keep on reading. I'll keep on studying. I'll keep on praying. I'll keep on doing his work. But as far as the victory is concerned, I'll let him give the victory. I'll wait on him. I'll wait on him for the answer. You fight his battles. Let him fight yours. I was thinking the other day about my good friend, Roy Thompson, somebody up here this morning visiting us from his church in Cleveland, Ohio. Someone told me one time that Roy Thompson started that church in Cleveland, Ohio. It's now the biggest fundamental church in Cleveland. I imagine running a couple thousand Sunday school, big, beautiful auditorium, wonderful church. They send us many, many students here at Howells Anderson College, dear friends of ours. And uh, Roy Thompson started that church. Somebody said that one year after they started that church, nobody showed up but Roy Thompson, his wife and children. What did he do? Waited for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. God has his timing. God knows when to do it. Don't you tell God when to do it. You do his work. You fight his battles. You let God fight your battles. You want the answer now. You want the, the victory now. You want the vindication now. No, you let God take care of that. You wait for him. Hurry up, God. Catch up. Catch up with us. No, 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 no. No, you just stop. You keep on doing his work, but don't you don't don't you tell God when to give the victory. I remember this verse, Habakkuk chapter two, verse three, meant so much to me twenty eight years ago. Um, I was a little bit spoiled, I guess. I guess I was I know I was. I was a little spoiled. Every church I'd ever had had done well. I'd never known anything but success and I'd never known anything but growing churches and and our church in Texas was the fastest growing church in the world and the talk of the state, literally the talk of the state. And then because it became the talk of the state, it became nationally known. I traveled across the country and the church was growing and that's all I'd known. And then I came to Hammond 28 years ago last August and we couldn't get things going. And, uh, oh, every time, ever, it just seemed like we couldn't get it going. I tried everything. I tried big days. I tried promotion. I tried special occasion. And, uh, and it just see, and then, then, then the uh, problem we had uh, we pulled out of the American Baptist Convention and and uh, other things and and uh, so uh, had uh, big problems and and we couldn't get it going. And a year after I came, we hadn't grown. And in the second year, we hadn't grown. And this verse became very real to me. I love it. For the vision is not yet. The vision is yet for an appointed time. <laughs> Listen to me. God's got the time when He's going to give you the victory. God's got the time all set. Don't run ahead of him. Uh, the victory's going to come. The answer's going to come. Vindication's going to come. Don't you try to do it. Let God do it. It says, business, wait for him. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will surely come. Oh, Brother House, when's God going to hear my prayer? It will surely come. Oh, preacher, when is God going to give me the victory? It will surely come. But God has the appointed time. You just keep on serving, keep on praying, keep on working, keep on living in the book, keep on doing good, keep on helping others, keep on living for somebody else, keep on fighting God's battle. 
It's not your job to fight your battles. It's his job to fight your battles. Victory is going to come. God's got his appointed time. You wait for him. Wait for him. I said my first resolution is I'm going to wait on the Lord. Oh, how God wants people to spend time with him. May I say this? Please do not think I'm a saint. I don't think you do anyway. But uh, don't think I'm a saint. But the fellowship with him is so sweet. In 1987, how sweet has been his fellowship. And how tender has been his touch. And how comforting has been his voice. I wish you knew him. I long for my people to know him. That I, I've never heard in my life from my people like I've heard this Christmas. I've died. I just feel like somehow we neglected Jesus this Christmas time. I feel so bad. And then, and all in the Christmas season, I just died. I mean, why doesn't somebody care about him? Buying and selling and eating and drinking and partying and playing and, and, uh, reveling. I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about liquor. I'm not talking about nightclubs. I'm talking about what you did this Christmas. Why doesn't somebody know there's a Jesus in heaven and a God in heaven? He longs for you to wait on him. I resolve this year, I'll wait on him. I resolve, I'll wait for him. I remember, I used to come to the auditorium, the old auditorium over here at Burns several years later. I used to come to the auditorium that first year or two I was here, and I'd, on Saturday night I'd go there and I'd spend the night over there. And I'd walk up and down those pews and I'd say, oh God. Do something tomorrow. Oh, God, do something. God, give us old-fashioned religion. Give us the power of God. And I'd get up in the pulpit and I'd sing, Lord, send me old-time power, the Pentecostal power. Thy floodgates of blessing on us are open wide. Lord, send the power of the old Pentecostal power. Let sinners be converted and thy name glorified. And I'd get out and I'd drive across town. And I'd drive in front of people's houses for whom I was praying, and I'd stop in front, and I'd pray. And uh, and somehow we couldn't get him stuck. And I'd beg him, and I'd beg him, and I read that verse. Oh, how sweet that verse was to me 28 years ago. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. And I said, God, do it when you get ready. Do it when you get ready. I want the victory now. Do it when you get ready. I want to be vindicated now. Oh, let God do it when he gets ready. An appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not by. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. And uh, it came. <laughs> it came. And soon, a few years, three years passed, and a great church began to grow up here. And people began to come from all over the Chicago area and hundreds and hundreds of people and then thousands of thousands of people. I'm saying, what did you want? What for the house? What did you do? Had to wait for the Lord. That's all. God doesn't work when you want him to work. God works according to his own schedule. See, God's in no hurry. I mean, he's got a lot of time. <laughs> this won't be his last year. He's not worried that it might be or thinking it might be either. He's not doing his best in case it is. God's got plenty of time. You and I talk in terms of hours and days and years. God talks in terms of millenniums. He's got plenty of time. What am I to do? I'm to serve him. What am I to do? 
I'm to love him. What am I to do? I'm to wait on him. What am I to do? I'm to do my best for him. What am I to do? I'm to praise him. What is he to do? To give me the victory when he gets ready for me to have it. That's all. I promise, I resolve this year to wait on the Lord. That means to be with him and spend time with him. And I resolve this year to wait for the Lord for his appointed time. And then, thirdly, my resolution, I resolve to wait upon the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Isaiah 43, 31. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Psalm 62, 1 and 5. My soul waiteth upon God. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? To wait on the Lord means to tarry with Him. To wait for the Lord means to serve Him and let Him give the victory at His appointed time. To wait upon the Lord, what does that mean? Just like the waitress waits on you at the, re- on you at the restaurant. Wait upon Him. Lord, may I take your order, please? I'll do whatever you say. And I resolve this year to wait on him. That means I plan to spend time with him. I resolve this year to wait for him. That means I'll let him give the victory when his appointed time comes. And I resolve to wait up on him. I resolve to do whatever he tells me to do when he tells me to do it. This is very tender for me, and I don't think I've ever mentioned it here. I think I told it somewhere on a trip one time, but not here. First part I have, but I remember for many years I traveled with Dr. John Rice. He and I traveled together. As I said before, over 2,200 times we used to sit on the same platform and shared the pulpit together. And uh, over uh, for 22 years, and uh, I got the place to where I, I saw him growing older. I saw him. I was with him when he was 65. I, I was with him on his 70th, 70th birthday. I was with him on his 75th birthday. I preached at the party they had for him on his 80th birthday. And uh, on and on it was all through those many years. And uh, I saw him as he got feeble. I saw him as he got more weary. And I resolved to wait upon him. I resolved to do, if I saw his coffee cup half full, I'd jump up and fill it. If I saw his ice tea glass half empty, I'd jump up and fill it. If I saw the slightest little uh, tear in his shoe, I'd buy him a new pair of shoes. I watched everything, every need he had. I knew his daughters would love to do that, and they did it when he was home. But they weren't with us. He was on the road, and I watched very, very carefully. I waited upon him. I remember one time, Dr. Rice had found out that I didn't agree with him on one little thing. I'd never told him in all the 22 years. I never told him. I didn't want my name in the sword of the Lord uh, to a young pastor gone astray. Not me, brother. I, I, and uh, you folks there live long enough to know. <laughs> I didn't buck him. And, uh, I never told him. But some of our students went over to Aurora, Illinois and, and told him that I didn't believe what he preached. And, and uh, they weren't students here the next week. But uh, he wrote me a little letter and he said, Dr. Howes, I'm disappointed. I didn't know you disagreed with me on a certain point. The next Monday, we were to be in Milwaukee together. I never answered his letter. Please don't misunderstand me. I never respected or loved a man like I love John Rice, but he's not my God, and I, I had to get my orders from God. And I couldn't ask him to preach any more than I could ask anybody else what I preach. And so uh, I didn't answer the letter at all. The next Monday, we were in Milwaukee, Wisconsin together, preaching with Dr. Jim Maston. 
And uh, when I first got there, I went up and knocked on Dr. Rice's door. Still had my overcoat on. It was a winter morning. Then my over, a winter afternoon. Had my overcoat on. Knocked on the door. Dr. Rice came to the door. I said, Dr. Rice, get your coat on. I want you to go with me. He got his coat on. He always do everything I said. And uh, by the way, the whole world would be better off if they do everything I said, too. But anyway, he'd always do everything I said. And I said, get your coat, get your hat. Dr. Rice got his coat and his rubber shoes on and, and his uh, hat. He followed me, went out and got in the car. I'd borrowed a car. We drove. I drove to the big shopping mall there in Milwaukee. I went to a man's store. I said, pick out a suit, Dr. Rice. He picked out a suit. I said, pick out some shoes. He picked out some shoes. I said, pick out a tie. He picked out a tie. I said, pick out an overcoat. He picked out an overcoat. I said, pick out a scarf. He picked out a scarf. Pick out some socks. He picked out some socks. I outfitted him from the hat to the shoes, everything in between. We walked back to the room. I stood at the door. I didn't want him to know I disagreed with him or anything. I kept it for 18 years, a secret, and all more than that. And I put my hand in his big old chubby hand, and I said, Dr. John, you're the greatest man I ever met, the greatest Christian I've ever known. I don't know how I could love you any more than I do. Never mentioned what we different, ever did. He never did again either, by the way. But here's what I did. Went back to my room. And the Lord said, how about me? I said, what do you mean, how about you? He said, how about me? He said, you wait on Dr. Rice and watch for anything he needs. How about me? I don't think I was ever as convicted in my life. And I got on my knees and I said, God, from this moment forward, I'll watch after you just like I watch after Dr. Rice. From that moment to this, every time Dr. Rice's coffee cup, a God's coffee cup has been half full, I've always filled it. But I promised God that cold winter afternoon, on a Monday afternoon, I'd give God the same attention I give to Dr. Rice. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you join me in my resolutions. Join me this year to wait on the Lord. Walk with Him. Know Him. Harry with Him. Spend time with Him. And then resolve with me to wait for the Lord. Don't run ahead. You wait for the opportunity. You wait for the door. God can open the door. No man can shut it when he opens it. Wait for the victory. Don't try to, don't try to do it yourself. You, you do what he says. You fight your, his battles. Let him fight yours. Wait for the vindication. Wait for, for the, for the answer. Be patient and wait for him. And then wait. Upon him. Anything he says. What he wants. I, 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 as far as I know myself, I mean this right now. If he wants anything I've got, he can have it. And if he wants me to do anything in the world, as far as I know my heart, I'll do it. I'm 61 years old. This is my life. Practically, my, my, practically all my life was built around these three things. Wait on him, wait for him, and wait upon him. Let me say this in closing. While you wait for him, you wait on him, and wait upon him. While you wait for the victory, you keep on serving him. 
You're not supposed to go somewhere as a monk in a monastery and sit there till the victory comes, the answer comes. No, you keep on waiting upon him. Do what he wants, only to be what he wants me to be every moment of every day. Wait upon him, do what he says, serve him, obey him. Let his slightest desire be a, a royal command to you. Do what he says. Wait upon him. Todd, you wait for him. And then wait on him. Spend time with him. While you wait for him. Some things you want. Some things I want. Some things you'd love to be done. Some things I'd love to be done. But I'm not supposed to do what I'd love to be done. I'm supposed to do what he wants me to do. It's his job to do what I want. So he'll fight my battles I won't. I'll fight his battles. I won't fight mine. I'll fight his. And I'll wait for him. And as I wait for him, I'll wait on him. And I'll wait for him. Those are my three extra resolutions this year. I'd like for many of you to give serious consideration to joining me. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.